Hello, everyone, and welcome to Petite to Queen's Practical Wisdoms and Sales podcast. I'm Rachel, your host of today's show. We have a great discussion in store for you on why today is the best time for a career in sales. Joining me today is Lynn. Hi there. And our special guest, Steve Fisher. Morning. Steve helps grow entertainment, tech, and startup businesses quickly by establishing themselves with the clever application of publicity, media relations, marketing communications, and content writing. Welcome, Steve. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to have you. So Steve, you've said that sales has never been more important. What makes you feel that way? And what is so unique about this time period compared to others? Well, I think more than ever, everybody's involved in sales. Uh, I think a lot of people realize that in today's competitive market, just getting a job, first off, even if you don't work in sales, getting a job in getting a job involves selling yourself, which is at the heart of all sales, by the way. Uh, so when we talk about sales, we talk about why, first of all, why are they, why are they more important than ever? I think salespeople, you know, in, in the way today's businesses are structured, salespeople are the most important people because they're the revenue producers. There's other departments that are always considered uh, cost departments. In other words, they're needed, but they don't affect the bottom line like the sales team does. So, But one of the great things uh, uh, in sales today is that everything has gone from very local niche to broad-based international. And what I mean by that is when I first came up doing some sales 30 years ago, it was basically you would be selling a niche product in a very small region. And nowadays, because of the internet and because of social media, everything has expanded and the opportunities have expanded exponentially. And it's more important than ever to, to have great salespeople who can actually identify how they want to spend their time and where they want to focus their energy uh, to make the sale. So years ago, it was, it was a very, it was a very, uh, it was a very small, small physical geographical area. Usually what you were selling was one or two things, either a product or service. It was pretty much relatively uncomplicated. There are lots of products and services nowadays that are highly technical and cost a lot of money. They have, we're talking very high dollar value things to sell. Whether it's a service or a product, it has to be explained uh, to the potential client in the right way to get the sale. Uh, so never been a better time to be in sales. There's so much opportunity out there. And if you're, if you become very good at sales, uh, you're going to become a very valuable member of the, uh, of whatever company you're working at. Not only that, but if you're able to produce in, in high, in high numbers, you will always you'll always have job security because you're the one who's always bringing in revenue and that's something that's always respected at any business the people we used to call them rainmakers they don't call them rainmakers anymore but anybody that brings in business uh, is going to be the last person to go 
whenever there's a slowdown at a company. So it's it's more important than ever. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. I think that one thing too to remember is that sales is all about leadership when you're in sales and it's a springboard into executive positions. When you look across um, high level executive positions and board members, almost all of them have had experience in sales at some point in their career. Because even as you leapfrog up and you move up that corporate ladder, that experience in sales means that you can sell your vision for a project. You can sell your vision for the strategy and tactics for the company moving forward. And it's the same principles that you've you utilized when you're making those sales to directly to the customers. Because you just have a new client base. And that client base are the other executives or your board. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for those insightful answers. So how has the market changed from local to worldwide? And I say that in relation to pursuing new business and maintaining existing client relationships. Uh, I think what's happened is we've got a globalization of business. Uh, and that part of that, like we were saying before, the affirmation, you know, explosion of the Internet, which actually started in the early 90s. And, and, and continues to this day. When the internet first started, it was actually a non-commercial uh, operation. Uh, and before anybody could even really talk about the ramifications of what the internet would be used for besides back and forth communication uh, between you know some highly skilled scientists in some niche markets, all of a sudden it blew up into capitalism. Uh, when you look at today's internet, it's capitalism. It's it's uh, it's everywhere. It's trillions of dollars to develop this World Wide Web. And now what we've done is we've seen businesses, and I can give you an, a direct example. My company, when I first started out, uh, did entertainment publicity for people who did commercials, music videos, and and independent films. And with the advent of the Internet, all of a sudden Hollywood met Silicon Valley, and then it also expanded to a worldwide uh, proposition. So what I was doing at the beginning was working for a few companies in Hollywood and the surrounding maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 miles of Hollywood, because that's where most of the business uh, the entertainment business was being done, whether it was music videos, advertising, or or movies. And then with the advent of the internet, great work could come from anywhere. I mean, you could literally, if you wanted music added to your movie, you didn't have to just use a company that was based in Hollywood. All of a sudden, you could go to Australia because there was a, a composer sitting over there who really understood your ideas, and he was sending you the music file each day that was scoring to the movie soundtrack. So to get back to what you were talking about, the internet and social media, which is obviously one of the one of the sidebars to the internet that developed, uh, and 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 the capitalism that's involved in the internet basically expanded everybody's business options. Today, I work for companies uh, that literally have employees all over the world. I talk to people from Sri Lanka to Seoul, South Korea on a weekly basis. Uh, so the business now is worldwide. 
my business expanded from just entertainment in Hollywood to entertainment worldwide. These companies are everywhere. I have a production company in Dubai that's working with companies back in the United States. I have high-tech companies that literally go everywhere from Belarus to Belgium, from Belgium over to China, from China over to Japan, and from Japan over to South Korea. And now we're expanding into markets in South America and all over Latin America. So for me, you're talking about a sole proprietor at a company who's actually watched his business uh, go from this little area in Hollywood to literally international. And it's something that evolved as the internet got stronger, as bandwidth got bigger, as you could do more and more with your computers. And now what's happened is that kind of sales attitude has happened with every company. I don't think there's a business out there, uh, maybe if you pour concrete and you don't want to drive and you don't want to drive the concrete truck more than 200 miles. But besides that business, you can basically uh, sell your product or service almost everywhere uh, in the world now. So it's, it, it's, it's very cool uh, to know that uh, if you even start up a website, that your stuff, your product and service can be seen worldwide. Yeah, Steve, that, that's so true. And, and the market has changed so dramatically I experienced the same thing of starting out in sales and selling in a small geographic area and was able to start selling to bigger companies that had uh, branch offices in the local area where I started the relationship, but they were able to introduce me into the larger corporate entity and eventually to companies that were overseas. And the same thing, having virtual meetings, um, having the the able the ability the technology to communicate with them effectively and execute on our business was instrumental in growing that same international base and it was a huge transition over that time but today you can do business with anyone anywhere um, and of course depending on your career if you're pouring cement. Yeah. it's going to be a little bit harder, but um, I guess then you can have a fleet of cement trucks. You can have a fleet of a partners, cement companies all over the world. So I guess there's, there's a solution for every problem or it's an opportunity, a solution for every opportunity. Perfect. I like that attitude. You can use the internet to franchise. Yeah. You can use the internet to franchise your opportunity. If, if you're, if you're limited physically, in, in your outreach, you can actually franchise your business model worldwide now. So, so you can do that too. Perfect. A solution to every opportunity. Now, Steve and Lynn, in both of your answers, you were talking a lot about how technology has changed the market. So what do you think are the best practices to finding potential clients using technology? Which tools and resources do you consider indispensable? You know, uh, I would have to say that it's really important, and I think it's become it becomes very it becomes very important that when you do your outreach, that you're very clear about what you can provide people. Um, when you do outreach, uh, the way I do outreach is to make sure that I'm not just saying I'm available 
what I do with my value proposition is I tell people what I can do and I do it in a way so that they can see how I can help them. And when we get into sales, the most important thing, of course, is when you actually do, when you actually try to sell something to somebody, whether it's a product or in my case, it's a service. It's very important that you let people know exactly what you can do and how you can help them. And then you have to listen. And I'm leaving this gap in the conversation right now on purpose because the best thing about selling that people don't understand is I'm capable of talking a mile a minute about what I do. But if I'm really going out there and looking for new clients, I listen to what they have to say. And I can give you an example. I was talking to a couple of prospective clients about what I could do for them. And it was really about marketing communication for a Japanese restaurant. And then they asked me because they saw, they saw something on uh, my LinkedIn page about how I Americanize content. And they said to me, they go, we have our website, but we really consider the content that was translated into English kind of clumsy. So I'm listening right now to what they're saying. And all of a sudden I realized that even though they contacted me for marketing communication for a restaurant, a client that they had, a Japanese restaurant, they were actually all of a sudden asking me about another way I could apply my writing talents and my marketing, my marketing communication skills to their business. And I said, I've done a lot of content for a lot of websites. What would you like me to do? And then I listened and they said, we feel that the tra our, tra our website translates into English is very clumsy. Could you actually go in there and write the content so it sounds like it sounds Americanized. And so in addition to me doing publicity and marketing communications, all of a sudden I had a whole new, I had a whole new uh, stream of business for me writing for Japanese and Chinese companies, uh, mostly companies in Asia that had English versions of their website that they felt the English was clumsy. So there became a whole new revenue stream for my business. And it all came about because I wasn't saying anything. I was just listening to what they were talking about. Yeah, Steve is right. You always need to, to get to that point in the conversation that you can listen. But when you're starting to find potential clients and you're using the technology that's available, there's so many different tools. I would say the very first step is to figure out your marketing funnel and to create, to identify what the, you know, understand who your audience is, what are the different silos and the different messages, and then devise, devise the funnel to fit that, and then provide lead magnets that pull leads into those funnels so that you sort of, you have a starting point of where the conversation is. And lead magnets can be, there's just so many different ways to start them, but Certainly today with technology, a common lead magnet that's used at our webinars uh, so that you can have a conversation about a topic that adds value for the customer. You're allowing them to 
get to know you via the the webinar at least hear you talk potentially see you if you're you're viewed on the webinar to get a sense of your characteristics your personality your style um, and then in, in addition the, so in a way they're they're developing a relationship with you um, even though it's virtual and it's a webinar really quite impersonal in many ways but it creates that feeling that you can make a connection and then from there they can say this was really a value I'm going to pursue the conversation and then you start those conversations and you do that through so many of the, the tools the, the email the social media um, you could be connecting with them on LinkedIn uh, the value that you provide to them in different materials that you're sending to further the the conversation and continue the relationship and through all of that you need to be asking questions and to Steve's point listening to their response reading between the lines so that you can you can complete you keep keep tacking back and forth as to what they're what they're saying what they need um, so that you can continue to provide value and and move that relationship further to the point where you're making a formal presentation and you can close the sale Well, thank you so much. So Lynn, you mentioned there um, email is one of the tools, just as an example. I know you're talking about webinars as well, but email is a very old, tried and true um, tool in our computerized world. But how can you leverage new and emerging tools to qualify customers? Steve, do you Lynn, want to take that first? <laughs> you want me to take it first? OK. Uh, well, yeah, first I, of all, I, is, you know, I, you know, yeah, I want you to take. You want me to take? All right. So the first thing I would say is is pay attention to what's coming at you. You know, I mean, we all receive all kinds of lead magnets every day, um, and there's a number of different ways that you can do them. You can create a really profound, a really useful infographic. You could create a fun little video um, that's almost like a play on an, uh, you know, whatever your product or services. There could be. A challenge that many companies face and you could make it humorous um, something that you can break out to attract their attention uh, you there I mean it's just it's just all over the map um, all the different ways that you can create a, a connection with people but email definitely paying attention to your subject line um, making sure that you're providing value with every communication and that you're giving them something to build a rapport. And so email is still a very viable tool, not just for utilizing and building a lead magnet and relationships, but it's also a great tool um, when you're into the, the personal communications and you're really now at the point where you're doing the back and forth communications and the strategy that you utilize there and really paying attention to your the content within your email, the subject lines and how you're uh, you're basically framing and uh, putting that email together. Uh, email communications in sales are, are absolutely critical all the way along, whether it's for the building lead magnets or for those one-on-one -on -one conversation as you're moving forward. Steve, what, do, what, what are your thoughts well, here? Well, I, I mix it up. Um, you know, we talk about these new tools 
you know, is new to you know, the more new tools that are out there. The, the future belongs to, you know, everybody wants to pay. You know, what's going on? What's next after emails? What's next after social media? What's the next big social media? What's the next Facebook? What's the next Google search engine? You know what? You know, the future belongs to all of it. It's just like a painter. A painter may have acrylics, oils, and now a digital pad. And there may be something else in five years. But the basic fact is the future belongs to all of it. It's how you want to build it. And for me, I basically uh, have adopted a, a kind of a different strategy. I use emails. But what I do is I build relationships with the salespeople at different companies. Because the salespeople uh, have, have – nobody knows more about their products and services than the salespeople. But what I do is I talk to salespeople and I ask them and I talk to them and develop relationships with them. And I say, what do your, do your clients need my services, which are PR, marketing communications, marketing copy? What do they need? Like I, I said, because if I team with your salesperson, all of a sudden they've got a complete broad-based marketing program where they're using me, they're using their internal salesperson, and all of a sudden we've got people inside and outside of that company that are focused on making that company grow. The other thing that I do is I go totally contrary to sometimes what some of these digital strategies are. Not to say I don't use email or something, but you know what? One of the things that I do, and I still do, is you know we call it you know the, all this digital communication. I do analog. I do analog things too. There's certain niche markets in the entertainment industry where I actually send flyers out to, you know, just like those old trifold flyers. And you know, a lot of people because everybody knows that the open rates for emails can be as low as oh, it can it can go down to zero. But the average open rate for emails from salespeople is less than 12%. But I can guarantee you if I actually mail somebody a piece of mail, nowadays that's considered so old hat, but it breaks through. So everybody has to keep two things going on. You have to keep your ear to the ground about what's changing in your business. And my business changed a lot. It went from Hollywood and entertainment to Silicon Valley and tech, and then the two smashed into each other. And next thing I knew, I was doing both. Okay, so you got to keep your ear. You got to keep your ear to the ground for for changes in that. And the other thing is embrace everything. I mean, it's not just about what the next thing is. It's if everybody is sending out emails and email blasts and constant contact and everything else. Sometimes you just need to go back and send up uh, send somebody a personal letter. Whatever you do. You got to do it more than once. There's got to be a built-in redundancy to your sales process. Otherwise, you're never going to close anybody. There's plenty of people I've talked to who never got back to me until the fifth or sixth time. And, and even then, uh, there was a sales cycle that went on, and then finally we started working together and when, when the opportunities and the projects were right. Yes, absolutely. An email is not, I certainly didn't mean to say it's a be-all, end-all. And I agree, you need no. to mix it up. In my 13-step sales program, we you'd use a number of different methods to communicate with the client. And so, Steve, I agree, absolutely, because I want to say I don't think email is the be-all, end-all. And within, I view this as touch, many different touch points. And 
different types of outreach because one's going to be more connective than the other. With each of them, you need to be providing value to help build the relationship, to build rapport. And you can build it towards many organizations um, and industries have conferences or trade shows, and you can build in towards those so that you can then meet and connect with people one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes that's where the relationship starts, but you need to use all these different pieces that are in your arsenal. You know, it's sort of like the, the, the arrows in the quiver. You might have different types of arrows. And that's what's right. so important as you're working through that. And I liked what you're saying, and I also agree that Going old school sometimes can be one of those pieces that will break through the noise. I've even tried once yep. uh, where I just send them blanks, send them a meeting invitation for, you know, a, a, a virtual meeting, and I've had people accept it. I've also had it where I've sent them an invitation out of the blue to to like physically meet for lunch, and they've accepted it. And this is after multiple right. times of working to connect with them, and they finally go, you know what? I'm going to say yes. She's been providing value. Right. Uh, it's been interesting what she's had to say. It's not just the same old, same old. It's not just, hey, I'm following up if you're interested in this. It's not weak sauce. You've got some really rich flavor and you're offering value. So they want to learn more. So that's right. absolutely right. And I think uh, that with technology, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have so right. many more ways to mix it up now. I mean, it's just, it's well, huge how many ways we can mix it up right. and what we can do. And, and and breakfast and lunch, you know, business yeah. discussion is deductible. So that's uh, yeah, that's no, I mean, and, that, humor, and that's I just guess. one idea. I mean, for <laughs> goodness sakes, you can have a virtual lunch with someone, and you know, have Panera deliver a right. lunchbox to them and you, and you're both in two different continents, and you're having well, maybe Panera. I'm not sure. Do they do that? <laughs> Certainly in the U.S., we could do it. You know, and you could literally be having a virtual lunch, lunch and learn meeting that you provide right. you know, for a, a, a big client and you get a bunch of their executives in a room and uh, you go through and do the people, presentation. People, well, and people enjoy creativity and also realize that, you know, there was an agency, there was an agency uh, that I'm, I'm reminded of that an ad agency and they sent out a Super Bowl and a yo-yo to the media and it just said, have a fun summer. And uh, <laughs> what's amazing about that is it got everybody's attention. And, you know, agencies, their stock and trade is how creative are you? Okay, so they sent out a Super Bowl and a yo-yo. And all of a sudden, everybody's just like, all of a sudden, they're 10% smarter than everybody else, right? <laughs> so there's also there's, there's also there's also soft sell branding. Uh, you don't have to be so hardcore and go in there. You can just kind of introduce your services in a novel and creative way. And I think the idea of actually saying, "Hey, I'm sending and, and it would work too. You know, I'm sending over I'm sending over some food uh, that will be available in your conference room this Friday at one o'clock in the afternoon." Uh, I'll be online to answer any of your questions about marketing and publicity and the kind of work that I do. You'd be surprised how many people would turn out for that because it's it's a good use of their time. It's productive. It's very productive. Right. So. Yeah, and you can also do the same thing inside a meeting when you you've developed that rapport, you finally you got to the big meeting, you maybe you flew in to have the meeting. Um, one of my tricks of the trade is to 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 bring Play-Doh into the meeting, the little small canisters of Play-Doh 
and it gets everybody all of a sudden it just like wakes everybody up and they start playing with you know i want everybody to try to make something and it's it's like this it's tactile it gets them very engaged in the conversation and then i align it to whatever it is that the sales conversation is about. So back in the day when I was selling big programs, it was all about how you could take that Play-Doh and you could shape it and configure it to meet their needs, their requirements. And right. it was it was a right. great way to really get everyone's attention. And it wasn't the same old meeting. All of a sudden it was like, I mean, you know, and first some people are like, who the heck brings Play-Doh to a meeting? <laughs> A business meeting. And I tell you, at the end, everyone, there was always two, one or two people who wanted all that Play-Doh to take it home to their kids. I never had to leave leave with the Play-Doh. Um, and it was sales. a great way to get them engaged. Sales, uh, first and foremost, too, that we, don't, that we would like to say is that sales is fun. Uh, yeah. Sales can be very creative and sales can be fun. You can make it as fun. You can make it as fun and engaging as possible. My, one of my first things I did when I was trying to get more clients was I sent out a simple flyer and it just showed a calendar and it says, you know, you work with me, we'll help you fill up your, your calendar with productions. And uh, it was amazing the response I got back from that. What's really amazing is when you look back in the sales process, you can literally see that you sent out a $500 flyer or did a $100 lunch with you and a couple of people from the prospective company. And all of a sudden you look back four years later and that initial investment ended up to be, uh, you know, a hundred, yeah, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in revenue to your company because you went off and did that. So sales should always be kept fun. Never let it yeah. get stale. <laughs> And, and well, I like is. how we started yeah. out. Yeah, sorry to go interrupt. Ahead. But, um, I like how we started out with uh, new and emerging technologies and tools and webinars, and then we got back to the fact that sometimes old school flyers work, and sometimes nostalgic toys like Play-Doh really work. But I like what Steve said about keeping sales fun. Yes. So, fun. Yeah. yeah, sales should be fun. And for our last question, Steve. What is your outlook of sales opportunities to sell a broader scope of products and services? And would Play-Doh be of any use? Play-Doh play will always have its place in the, in the sales process. I think, and, and, and I love that, and, uh, that, that analogy that, that Lynn gave. I think going forward that it's just going to get better. I mean, because things are getting, there's two things that are going on in this world. There's more and more stuff to sell and market and find a niche for it. And there's an, uh, there's another thing. Everything's becoming more complicated, whether it's a service or a product. There's like these infinite solutions that you can apply. I'll give you an example. I had one client came out with some software. You could use the, you could just buy the software you could have the company manage the software for you, or they could also do a hybrid and actually bring their programmers in and incorporate their software solution with your present software so you have an in-house solution. And this is going on in every industry. So there's a couple things going on. Never has the demand for sales been greater. And it keeps the salesperson engaged when you can sell a variety of solutions to people. It doesn't just have to be one thing because 
the the only downside to sales is if you only have one thing to sell and you repeatedly hear what the what not only what the strengths are but the weaknesses it's almost like I'll give you an example let's say you're a salesperson and you're only selling ad space in one magazine okay once you've been doing that for a while you'll hear feedback from people that say well yeah we love your publication but it's not quite right it doesn't fit our demographic okay nowadays think of sales is more broad-based instead of selling one publication uh, nowadays you will be working for a company that sells a variety of publications in a variety of industries to a variety of different demographics it's the same way in radio let's say uh, instead of just selling a country uh, advertising on a country station all of a sudden you're selling all different stations from news to country to rock and roll to some kind of old classics to a jazz station up and down the aisle the cool thing about sales now is since the world is exploding in a million different ways you also get to explode as a salesperson in a million different avenues and that keeps the sales process fresh whether if you're just doing the country music station after a while you know who your audience is but if you're able to sell stations up and down the band which is now what's capable because of the way companies operate uh, they own they own whole whole wider bandwidths uh, and this goes for every industry so you do things like that and all of a sudden you realize that it's just going to keep getting better and better every 10 years we've got another billion people on the planet to market to and there'll be recessions uh, there will be moments when everybody is toasting champagne uh, at the end of the year for great great record-breaking years but in the bottom line is we we as people if you're in sales, remember that in, in the blink of an eye, which is 10 years nowadays, you'll have another billion customers to sell and market products and services to. And that's got to get you excited. Yeah, it's, it, it is a world and, and new people discovering those products and services. And then however you, how those products and services also evolve and change over time. I think another thing is there's the the opposite of that is that because there is so much opportunity if you if you really look at your funnel and the different avenues that you can feed into the sales as a salesperson you may decide that there's a specific niche market that's a really good fit that's a great fit for you great fit for your company that you have a a, a shorter sales cycle through and you can really focus on that niche market but that niche market is still huge because it's worldwide it's still a huge niche market and by being able to be able to niche it down you can actually be communicating directly to them and about what their wants needs and their requirements what they're lacking right now so you get that synergy a little quicker so there's there is another school of thought about how you can use this worldwide opportunity um, and find customers everywhere. And in this day and age, there's no excuse to, for poor customer service or poor sales work because you've got so many more options in terms of timely follow-up, which is really the key to sales and, and the number of clients that you can actually bring in. It's, 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 it's only limited by your imagination. And, uh, you know we've got so much going on the internet and things but you know like I was saying the future includes everything and I I think the next big sales tool is gonna it's gonna come back 
is going to be the brick and mortar store because I think the brick and mortar stores have gotten to the point where they're understanding what they need to do to compete against things on the internet. So once again, even even in the old in in the old school, uh, uh, things are going to be expanding. There'll be uh, there'll be more more businesses, more responsive. Uh, brick and mortar has has basically changed in the last five years to compete uh, with. Uh, the Amazons of the world, and there'll always be niches for that too. But I think going back to the original question was, okay, so what does the future look like? And the future for sales looks great just because you're going to have a billion new people every 10 years. And the other thing that's great about it is salespeople are going to be expected to sell uh, very complicated products and services and be able to communicate what the advantages of those products are to the client and you're always going to need that that's something that can't be outsourced because it's going to be worldwide and the salespeople who can actually adapt and communicate with different cultures I'm not just talking about the ability to be bilingual what's really important is that you can make your case in any language about what you're selling uh, product or service so I think all that taken together is if I was a salesperson coming up today uh, I, w I would be really enthused about the prospects for my career. Yeah, I agree, Steve. It's it's a terrific opportunity. And to your point, when you're in sales, you can sell different products and services. So as your industry changes, as things emerge, new opportunities, you can sell those new products and services. Um, sales is very adaptable to, to, to industry jumping. Well, thank you. I like the enthusiastic outlook, the optimistic outlook for our sales future. Steve and Lynn, I want to thank you for such an energized conversation and your sage advice. This has been a wonderful sales discussion. So for our listeners, what do you think about a career in sales? Chime off in the comments section because we would love to hear your thoughts on the subject. And if you have a question or would like to suggest a topic for discussion, please email us at jointheconversation@petitequeen. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>